You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado. This is September 20th, 2021, a Monday, and episode 149 of season 3, 214 of this podcast. Today we're going to ask a very big question. Why would a good God allow evil and suffering to exist? But first off, I want to back up a little bit to something I've been talking about in recent episodes. It's been a little over a week since I recorded a podcast episode, and I want to explain my absence. I've been gone from podcasting in part because my father-in-law has been staying with us. He is with us from Ohio. He goes back to Ohio, flies back. Thursday, but he's been with us for a little over a week now, a week and a half, I suppose you could say, and it's a it's a pleasure. It really is. It's great to have him. It's a joy to have him. He's a very easy house guest, and he's actually considering a move to Greeley to live closer to us. We're the only family in the area for him, but Colorado is beautiful. We've talked it up with some success, and we're encouraging him to come out and live closer to us. So he's considering it. And in the meantime, while he's staying with us, he has been using my office as uh, a guest room. We've been using my office as a guest room, which means early in the morning when I wake up, if I wake up before I go to work and would otherwise try to record a podcast episode, it just doesn't work out for me to come in there while he's sleeping and set up shop. So uh, I don't do that. That would make me a not very good host, not very good podcast host, and also a not very good uh, host of my father-in-law. So I've not been doing that. And uh, then besides that, I am still working on trying to appeal the start time. My start time was recently changed. If you've been listening to recent episodes, you will remember my mentioning a few weeks back that I have had pretty much a create your own schedule, create your own hours, sort of a uh, enterprise for almost a decade of working in oil and gas. And that has allowed me a lot of freedom when it comes to writing, podcasting, what have you. So long as equipment is running, so long as I'm not missing appointments, meetings, contractors who are going to be coming to site, things like that, it works out just fine. Actually, it works out really well, particularly when I'm on call 24-7, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. I roll with it. I accept that there's certain trade-offs. That's why I get paid to be available in part. And the offset for me has been that if I don't have to come in until 8 8.15, 8.30, and I'm finishing up a podcast, well then, that's what I like. I like having some flexibility to go ahead and finish up what it is that I'm creating, then come in, and if it's just routine stuff that I can work on 
what does it matter if my eight hours are from seven to three or if they're from eight to four? What does it matter if my 10 hours are from seven to five or if they're from eight to six? What does it matter? So long as the work is getting done and it just so happens that the work, in my opinion, my very firm opinion, uh, it just so happens that the work gets done better when Garrett is a happy, happy, uh, happy person, happy boy. Uh, that sounds weird. I was going to say all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. I was trying to play off of that. Um, but it sounds weird to call myself a boy. Uh, yeah, in any event, all work and no play does make Jack a dull boy. And it just so happens that when Garrett is all work and no play, or in this case, no content creation, no writing, no podcasting, he is not as happy and he's not as productive and uh, I haven't been unpleasant I don't think but I have been um, less happy <laughs> uh, and so I appealed it I typed up uh, an explanation of all the reasons why I think it's to the company's advantage and to my advantage to leave my schedule as it was leave the arrangement as it was I wasn't abusing it and uh, so I just talked with uh a member of management, I won't say particularly who, talked with a member of management today, and uh, they said, you know, just be patient. We're still thinking about it. We're still looking at it. Um, we'll get back with you. But in the meantime, I do want to get into this question because the day after tomorrow, I am scheduled to give an apologetics talk for youth group at our church, Summit View Community Church in Evans, Colorado. Youth group just started up the first session, first meeting of our new school year, just started this last Wednesday, and I am on the docket for giving an apologetics talk this coming Wednesday, this next Wednesday, the second Wednesday of our year, and I have the topic, why would a good God allow evil and suffering to exist? So nothing too heavy, nothing too... Uh, daunting, you know, light stuff, uh, no biggie. Yeah, but, you know, in all seriousness, it is a big, weighty, heavy topic, actually. And I've given it some thought over the years, and I've talked with friends of mine who really wrestled with this, who really grappled with this. I've talked with friends of friends who really, really firmly rejected Christianity and theism in general, because they got hung up on this, or at least that was their argument, that was their claim for why they couldn't accept that the Bible is true. They couldn't accept that God is real, that he exists, that he's good because of the problem of evil, as it's called. And so I've talked with people, I've debated with atheists and agnostics. Some of them were friends of mine. Some of them were just people that were friends of friends. I've debated a number of them over the years and I have a, a couple of thoughts. I have a few things to say. Besides just debating with other people, it is a fair question. It is a decent question to ask why, uh, but there are answers. And so we have to dig in in good faith and not just ask the question as a roundabout way of saying that we hold God in contempt because that is not appropriate. That is not an acceptable position to land on. That's actually a very foolish position to land on because we are not above God, sitting as his judge. He is above us, and he gets the privilege by right of creating us and ruling the universe. By right of his position, he gets to judge us, not the other way around. So 
if we're asking in good faith and we're looking at the scriptures and we're asking God for wisdom, then I happen to believe that we will find that there is an answer. We might not fully comprehend the answer. We might not have as much of a picture, a clear picture as we should like. We might know in part. We might prophesy in part, as Paul writes in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. But there is God's word for us to use as the basis for understanding as much as we can by God's grace. So first off, as we explore this question, have you considered my servant Job? That's a question that God asks in the book of Job in the Old Testament. The Old Testament book of Job starts with a conversation between God and Satan in which the Lord calls attention to his servant Job. He says in verse 8 of chapter 1, Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Now who is it that God is speaking to? He's speaking to Satan. God asks Job, no question here. He asks you and I, no question here. He's asking Satan a question. Have you considered my servant Job? And we are on the sidelines as spectators getting to observe this. Job, presumably, is not privy to this and doesn't know that there has been this conversation between God and Satan. But nevertheless, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. And so this scripture is here and God has revealed that this is what happened. This is the backstory. Whether God ever revealed this to Job is not made known in the narrative, but we know it. And so what follows is that Satan accuses Job of only worshiping God because of all the good things God has given him. God has blessed him. He's given him a beautiful family, status, wealth, health. And if not for these things, Satan says that Job would curse God openly. So God grants permission to Satan to take everything from Job. So long as he doesn't touch his person. Before the chapter is over, Job has lost his livestock, his servants, his children, everything. He's distraught and he mourns, which is to say that's acceptable. That's an acceptable response, a human reaction when you have lost certainly your children, but even your servants, your livestock. It's acceptable to mourn. Job makes that clear. So Job gets this news from three servants, rapid succession. One after another, they come to him and they tell him the bad news. And they alone escape to tell him of these disasters. While the one before is still speaking, another one rushes up and he's waiting his turn and then he delivers the news. So it's just a triple whammy. Bad news, bad news, bad news, back to back to back, overlapping, actually. Job stands up, he tears his robe, he shaves his head, both of those being very traditional customary ways of expressing grief. You're so upset, you just tear your clothes because you don't know any other way to express the level of your anguish and pain. He shaves his head. He's in mourning. 
But then Job falls to the ground and he worships. And one of the things he says in chapter 1, verse 21, is naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return. Yahweh gave and Yahweh has taken away. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. In the second chapter, Satan attacks Job's health and we see a repeat of the scene from the first chapter. God again highlights the righteousness of Job. And again, Satan claims Job would curse God to his face if God removed his blessings. This time, keying in on the hypothetical of taking Job's health away. As with the first time around, God gives Satan permission to test the genuineness of the faith of his servant. The only limitation is that Satan is not allowed to kill Job. So Job is struck with sores from head to foot, and he's sitting there in the dirt with a broken piece of pottery, just scraping these sores, mourning. Next thing you know, Job's wife is challenging him. Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die, she says. But he answers her, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips, according to Job 2, 9 to 10. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now that's a head scratcher, admittedly. How can it be that Job is saying that he's received evil from God, but it's not sinful for him to say that? How can it be in chapter 1, verse 21, he says that Yahweh gave and Yahweh has taken away. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. And the narrative tells us that Job did not sin with his lips. I'm reading this, you probably read this, and you think to yourself, well, it's not God who's taken away all these things. It's not God who gave Job evil. That would be wrong. That would be wrong of God. Bad God. No, no, no. Don't do that. And yet, what do we find? Job says that God took away his children, his servants, his livestock, Job says that he's received evil from God. And the narrative says Job didn't sin with his lips. Now, it could be that depending on how you look at this, you say Job was mistaken, but kind of correct at the same time. You know, depending on how you look at it, he's really receiving the evil from Satan. And it's really Satan that's taking away. But then again, on the other hand, God's giving permission to Satan to do this. And so in a sense, indirectly, is it God from whom this is coming? Now, as a side note, and this is speculation more than revelation, I wonder if Job's wife thought to herself that her husband cursing God and dying would bring an end to their troubles. I think she wanted the easy way out, but nevertheless, if you continue on through the book of Job, you find that 
Job has three friends, and at first they do really well, just being with him, listening, here's what's going on. Boy, that's really sad, and we're going to be here, and we're going to mourn with you. We're going to comfort you by being with you and not allowing you to be alone right now. We're with you. And as time goes on, as days go on, at a certain point, they start trying to mitigate the suffering. And almost in a similar vein to what I think Job's wife is getting at, where she's kind of wanting to put Job out of her misery, they start trying to pick at what it is that he did. It's very similar to in the New Testament where we read the disciples asking Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Very similar assumption. If they're suffering in this person's life, it's because they messed up. They made a mistake. They've sinned. And this is punishment. And in that way of thinking, good people only have good things happen to them and bad people have bad things happen to them and good people don't have bad things happen to them and bad people presumably don't have good things happen to them because God is just and he works on our timetable, right? Only that's not quite correct. At least not in the time frame that we typically think and typically assume. That's not quite all there is to the story. There's a little bit more to it. It's a little bit complicated, actually. So Job, and who could blame him, Job asks, why? Why? I mean, the majority of the book of Job is Job asking why. Why, 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 why? Why, God, did you not just allow me to be stillborn? Why did you create me at all if this was going to be my condition? I didn't deserve this. Job argues with his friends and they get kind of frustrated with him because he's pleading his innocence. No, 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 no. I haven't done anything. I haven't sinned to incur this kind of judgment. I'm innocent. And to be fair to Job, we are privy to the beginning of this whole back and forth between God and Satan in a way that Job is presumably not. It's God who says, have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered my servant Job that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? So to be fair to Job, he would seem to have a point. God himself is saying he's blameless. But yet, Job still pleads his case and he questions over and over and over again. Why? Why? And he's asking God first and foremost. He's not asking his friends first and foremost. They clearly are not privy. (laughs) They clearly do not have more wisdom in this than he does as is evidenced by the end of the book. But by chapter 38, God answers Job. And God reframes the question. Verses 1 through 7, chapter 38 of Job. Then Yahweh answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. 
I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And it carries on like that. God goes on and on and on in laying it on thick and really driving the point home. And the point is this. God is holy and other and God. God is God. God is God. Job is Job. Job is not God. God is not Job. God knows his reasons. Who is Job to be questioning God on why he's done what he's done or not done what he hasn't done? Or he's done what he has done the way that he's done it in the timing that he's done it and will do what he will do in the future in his own good time. Who is Job to ask God? And that's important. And I don't read in this a harshness on God's part. I think this is actually a very great mercy on God's part because he's letting Job know that this is not for no purpose and that this is not lost on God, what is happening to Job. God sees and he hears more to the point because he's been listening to Job's back and forth with his friends. I want you to consider also, in light of this question, Romans nine fourteen to 24. What shall we say then, Paul writes, is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God, who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show you my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Which, as an aside, not Paul and Romans speaking, but Garrett speaking, this is the exact same line of question that God offers to Job. Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles? Consider also James 1, 12 to 15. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. 
Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Consider also Second Peter three nine. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So, what's the conclusion here? Well, for one, when you look at Romans, you have this whole question of the problem of evil being reframed. And really what it boils down to is, because God wanted it that way, why would a good God allow for evil and suffering in the world? Because he wanted to. Because he wants to. Now, Depending on who's asking the question, whether they're asking in good faith, whether they are asking as a way of defiantly shaking their fist at God and saying, I refuse to believe in this God who's a monster, who's a villain, who's worse than Hitler, whatever. The question is really not an honest question. If it's an actual question, you should listen for the answer. If it's a rhetorical question, which is just another way of saying I hold God in contempt because creation is not the way that I want it. At a certain point, mark my words, at a certain point, God will answer you along the lines that he answers Job at the end of the book of Job. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. See, we forget ourselves. We forget ourselves foolishly sometimes. And we think we are the ones who get to decide whether God is approved by our standard. And when we do that, we miss out on what it is that God's word has been given to us for. God's word has been given to us so that we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds, not so that we can say there's injustice on God's part. And not so we can say that God is tempting us, because that's another common trouble if we answer this wrongly, on purpose or accidentally. We say, well, look at Job. It's really God's fault. God is the one who's tempting Job. No, no, no. He's not tempting Job. Have you considered my servant Job and the permission given to Satan when Satan, as the accuser of the brethren, claims that Job would curse God openly if not for the blessings? That permission on God's part is not evil And all of this really gets back to the statement and the assertion that really is the dividing line. Is God the standard? Because if there's an outside standard of goodness, of righteousness, which comes from us, then why do we call God God? Wouldn't that make us God? Doesn't God, by virtue of his person, his character, his attributes, doesn't he have the right to decide to allow for evil and suffering 
along the lines of 2 Peter 3.9. And there are plenty of other verses which tell us this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. Which is another way of saying we are impatient. We think it should be going a lot faster than this. But we don't know what we're talking about. God is not slow to fulfill his promises. He's patient toward us. He doesn't want us to perish. He wants all to reach repentance. And now there's plenty of things in everything that I'm talking about here that someone could pick at and say, well, wait, what about this? Well, what about that? Well, explain this further. I get it, right? I get it. That's valid. There's a lot of complicated elements in the mix here. How can it say that all should reach repentance? But you read what you read about vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor and has the potter no right over the clay? But it's important to note who is the all, not wishing that any should perish among the elect. Who are the elect? God only knows. <laughs> I mean, sincerely, a lot of these questions we grapple with, and again, as I said at the top, we know in part, we prophesy in part. We see now as through a glass dimly, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. It's like that glass that gets put in for bathrooms a lot of time, where it's smoky. It's not see-through. It's not transparent. It's allowed to let some light in. You can kind of get a vague outline of things that are on the other side, but you also don't want people seeing you that clearly when you're in the bathroom. So there's an upside. We see now as through a glass dimly, but we have God's word. Elsewhere, in Proverbs, it says that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to seek a matter out, which is another way of saying, as Peter says, as Peter writes, some of the things that Paul writes are hard to understand. But as with all the scripture, Paul writes some difficult, hard to understand things. The scriptures have some very difficult, hard to understand things in them, like this, like the book of Job. And yet, whether we really dig our heels in and grapple with what do these things mean truly and listen and pay attention and humble ourselves before God for the answer, that makes a huge difference in whether we're going to get an answer. If you don't want an answer, ask the question and then walk off with your ears plugged. But in that case, we are saying... We are in the right, and God is not right. And that puts us on the wrong side of history, on the wrong side of God. That makes us rebels against God. That aligns us with the same person we read about in Job who attacks Job. So be forewarned. It's important when we ask these questions, it's important that we ask them in good faith, that we ask them really digging in diligently and that won't necessarily translate into us knowing again in detail all the ins and outs all of the minutiae 
for certain before Christ returns or calls us home. And yet, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we read that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so if we humble ourselves before God, he will give grace there. And he will have mercy on our frailty. I look at God's response to Job and I see a great deal of mercy there. He's reframing the question and believe it or not, he's comforting Job by calling Job to remember the order of things, to contextualize what it is that is happening. So, that's that. That is at least as much as I understand, as much grace has been given to me to understand these things. That's as far as I've gotten. It's a fine question when asked honestly. I should leave it there, though. I will say I do hope that the whole podcasting business resumes in earnest here soon. For all of you who have listened, who do listen, who will be listening again, hang in there. If you haven't caught up on all of the episodes that went before, feel free to go back while I'm still kind of up in the air. Things are in hiatus. I'm still trying to work through the proper channels to get my work situation reorganized. Go back, listen to some of the older stuff, give it a gander. And uh, in the meantime, I got to run. I don't know when I'll have a chance to record again, but as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.